Artex Stacked, episode 27 with Kaya Ismail. Brought to you by Content Cow. Plan, collaborate on, approve, and publish your content in one simple and intuitive calendar interface. This is Martech Stacked, the weekly show that delves into the what, which, why, and how of marketing technology. I'm your host, David Bain. And each episode, I'll be chatting with a top marketer or a top technologist about what MarTech they use, which are their top tools, why they use the tools that they do, and how they integrate everything together as part of their overarching content marketing strategy and MarTech stack. I'm joined today by a man who's been writing about enterprise software since 2012 for various publications, including Shopify and CMS Wire. He's the founder of a boutique content strategy agency for business software vendors called Wordify. Welcome to Martech Stacked, Kaya Ismail. Thanks for having me, David. Yeah, thanks for joining us. Great to have you on. Uh, well, you can find Kaya over at Wordify.co. So Kaya, explain what Wordify does and how you use marketing technology to make it better. Brilliant. Well, thanks again, David, for having me on. Uh, to give a very quick summary of uh, what Wordify is and what we do, we are a content marketing agency for SaaS companies. And even more specifically than that, we um, help uh, DXP companies and CMS companies. So that's digital experience platform vendors primarily. So to give you some examples, you mentioned Shopify there. That's uh, one client that we've had in the past. Uh, LifeRay would be another name that may ring some bells. Basically anything to do with web content management. Uh, that is our forte. That is my personal forte. As you mentioned in the intro, it's a topic I've been writing about for a good few years now. So we help those companies with their content marketing, everything from blog posts, uh, white papers, ebooks, landing pages, uh, the strategy that goes along with that, uh, how to distribute that content. Um, yeah, that's pretty much uh, what we do in our services in a nutshell. So just before we dive into the specific marketing te technology that you use within Wordify, um, let's touch on content marketing strategy, because as, as we mentioned, you've been kind of working in content, content marketing, content production for the last eight years or so. So how has it changed? You know, what, what content are you producing now compared with eight years ago? And has it changed that significantly? That is a good question. It's um, the answer is yes and no. Um, from one perspective, it hasn't changed in the sense that we're still writing uh, blog posts, we're still writing articles that get published on a website, just like you would have read um, 20 years ago, really. That hasn't really changed even from before my time, you know, the good old blog post. Um, perhaps 10 years ago, you would have thought, well, the blog post will probably be replaced by something else in a few years' time, but it hasn't. And it, it continues to be the best way for companies to um, display thought leadership, um, rank well on Google, uh, and just in general, you know, put out content that's going to engage and educate their audience. So from that perspective, you know, writing blog posts um, has very much stayed a constant. Similarly with ebooks, similarly with white papers, especially among B2B companies, uh, which we, we work with primarily B2B companies, those kind of things have remained a constant. And I can't really see them going any anywhere anytime soon uh, for good reason, because they, like I said, they do a great job of engaging, you know, the audience and, and providing value, providing thought leadership. Having said that, the way a blog post is written and the way um, content in general is presented to the audience has changed a lot. Um, taking blog posts uh, in isolation, perhaps this is my personal opinion. So uh, with blog posts, um, 10 years ago, perhaps you would have seen blog posts being, being um, written and researched very, very much in line with what Google wanted and only with what Google wanted. And that often 
um, resulted in a very keyword heavy blog post, a blog post that wasn't necessarily built to engage the reader or educate the reader so much as it was to impress Google. So those were sort of the blog post or the blog writing tactics uh, perhaps a decade ago. What we're now seeing over the last couple of years is the best blog content is actually content that is aimed at pleasing and educating and engaging the, the human reader. And Google has actually got better at recognizing when that's happening and rewarding the blog post or the, or the website that hosts that blog post uh, with, with, with a better Google rank. So we've definitely seen that shift happen. I personally have seen that shift happen in my own uh, journal journalistic work. We've seen that happen um, with our clients as well, where we've sort of had to definitely not disregard Google, definitely not just disregard a keyword research, but prioritize what information, what value we're bringing to that end user so we can uh, hit other metrics uh, such as, you know, time on the site, um, you know, uh, have they clicked the, um, the downloadable bottom of the blog post to download a piece of content that's going to uh, give them some more information in exchange for their email, which is, again, uh, for, for a B2B company, extremely valuable. These kind of things have come to the forefront. And, you know, keyword stuffing and, and, and making sure it's, you know, fantastic for Google, but not exactly fantastic for the reader, that has slowly and rightfully so, um, you know, faded away. How do you do your topic research nowadays? And, and, and has that changed significantly? Because obviously you touched upon the fact that um, you used to cater primarily towards Google and keywords and, and ranking and search engines. But nowadays it's more about um, writing for users directly themselves. So, so does that mean that you form some kind of focus group? Do you ask companies themselves what topics are more important for them? Or do you still do keyword research? That's a brilliant question, and it's something that we're, we're writing about. Um, so hopefully we'll have something published on this very topic in the next few weeks. Um, basically, we have definitely not disregarded and definitely not left keyword research. So we probably our first step is to find out which keywords are our clients' competitors ranking for, what keywords are they, are they targeting in their most recent blog content, their most recent landing pages, all that kind of stuff. There's stuff that, we, that everybody always used to do. Every marketer has always done that. So we always start there. However, there are a few examples of where we've had some fantastic success um, despite the data. So I'll, I'll, I'll give you an example of that. Uh, the, the keyword headless CMS um, is now quite a common keyword. It's quite a, um, a well-searched keyword. There's a high volume of search for that every month, headless CMS. But we were, we were, we've been working with clients in the headless CMS space for um, over two years now. And when we first started working with them, because of my background in this space, uh, you know, journalistic uh, background in that space, I knew that headless CMS was a, a trending term at that point, and I knew it was a growing term. So the data was telling me that perhaps this keyword is not brilliantly important over some other keywords, right? I mean, the data wasn't quite there in terms of monthly search at that time, two to three years ago. So I had to convince some clients that, look, this is something that's trending. They'd heard about this term. They, 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 try, they were attempting to use it in some, in some ways, but they weren't convinced it was going to bring them a ton of traffic. They weren't convinced that it was um, something to pour a lot of time and money into. But thankfully, um, at least one of our clients listened to us at that time. Uh, and we've got a case study with that client. I, I don't think they'll mind me mentioning the name, Core DNA. So you can head over to wordify.co and, and find that case study. And we basically uh, produced a lot of content around that keyword at the time when the monthly search volume was not fantastic and they benefited um, quite a bit from that. Um, and had we have only, had we, had we have restricted ourselves to only following what uh, the monthly search volume was telling us, we probably wouldn't have wrote that, um, that content and would have waited until it was, you know, 
a common thing to write about and we would never have ranked as high as we ranked and our client would never have um, experienced the, the traffic spikes that they did and the, the, the spike in organic traffic that they did. So what, I, what my argument really is, is not to disregard keyword research, but to never restrict yourself to it. And there is a caveat there. And that caveat is you kind of have to know the, the industry that you're in in order to, to do that. You can't, I could never really walk into the, the golf industry and, and, and spot trends because I've got no experience in golf. I don't know about golf. I'd never be able to do that. But if you do have experience in the industry, do the keyword research, but also put your ear to the ground, speak to other thought leaders, um, see what your competitors are saying, um, you know, the new stuff they're saying, see what analysts are saying, your, your gardeners and your foresters in my case, and try to spot the trends there before they become common. Or try to spot the trend before it becomes a trend, if you will. And um, that way you'll probably be able to produce some content early on and rank very well, even though the data wasn't quite there at the beginning. Great point. I, I love your saying trying to spot the trend before it becomes a trend, because if you're inside an industry, if you've got a certain understanding of an industry, then you can see an inflection point. You can see where a trend is potentially starting when there is perhaps not so much competition out there. And if you can start to get your article published then, uh, when it's not so competitive, you're more likely to get a decent number of backlinks, a decent number of people sharing the article, and then to stay the, the the number one article or one of the top articles for that particular subject moving forward because you were one of the, one of the first movers for that. So wonderful point there. Um, let's um, swerve into technology and get your feelings for what are your top tools that you're actively using at the moment. So in terms of MarTech tools, um, starting off with number three, what are your top three tools in your current MarTech stack and why? Okay, so the third one is uh, Loom. That's useloom.com, I believe. Um, relatively common tool, and I think most, I think all three of our tools will be common, but I'll hopefully have some, some unique ideas on why we use them. So Loom okay. is, uh, for those who don't know, it's a, a screen capture tool that allows us, at least, to uh, capture certain workflows, certain tasks that need to be completed. Um, we can capture that very quickly and easily using their Chrome extension, the Google Chrome extension, and save that onto the UseLoom dashboard and share that uh, with our uh, colleagues and sometimes with our clients as well, if that's if that's necessary. So, yeah, UseLoom is 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 our is our sort of third on the list or, or bottom of the list, if you will. Well, you must have been, <laughs> I'm sure there are many other tools that are even underneath that in terms of being bottom of the list, but uh, um, bottom of this particular list, absolutely. And you must have been, I reckon, using that tool for a while. Um, the reason I'm guessing that is because the domain name is now just loom.com and they've got the domain name loom.com, but use loom.com directs to that. <laughs> there we go. There we go. <laughs> You've caught me out. <laughs> <laughs> but that's, it's it's good. It's good getting in um, towards the beginning using a piece of um, um, software um, f for a while and obviously getting used to it, getting comfortable with it. Um, so so what's a typical use case for you? Uh, um, how do you go about creating videos and what, um, uh, what audience have you tried to target and for what purpose in the past? To be honest, this is uh, something that we use internally more than anything else and, and sometimes for our clients. So I'll give you a good use case for this. Uh, one of our clients uh, requires us to not only write the content uh, that they want published, but they also want us to um, use their, their their bespoke CMS to upload that content into their backend. So I've obviously got colleagues. I, that's not a task that I, I want to be doing every single day. So what I did is I, I 
learned how to do that myself based on the client's instructions. Once I was confident enough to do that, I recorded using um, Loom, uh, recorded it once. And like I mentioned earlier, easy to save, very easy to share. And I was able to share that with my colleagues. And on top of that, Loom also allows you to see um, exactly when uh, each person viewed that video. So I know exactly, you know, has my colleague actually viewed that? Have they not? Do I need to nudge them to see, you know, um, to nudge them to, to see it basically and, and get onto that task? And if they have, then I know that, you know, that's done. And that can then stay in Loom and it could be reused over and over again. So as we get new team members, um, they can watch that video, however many times they need to watch it. Um, and yeah, it's basically a staff training, you know, on Loom. And that's basically how we use it. And we have a few different uh, tasks and workflows in Loom that can be used over and over, over again. Whenever a, a particular colleague of mine, you know, forgets how to do something correctly, they can go back and, and, and reference the video. And when we hire again, then the video is right there, ready for them to learn how to do the basics. Superb. It's a great service. It's a cost-effective service. It's a popular service. And it starts off free of charge, up to 100 videos as well. So it's it's really good value. Uh, the business plan is only um, 10 US dollars per creator per month. So it certainly doesn't break the bank at all. Can you think of any other competitors that are similar to Luma out there that you considered prior to using Luma? We, at one stage, I believe we were using Screenomatic. Um, mm. Not mm. exactly the most... Screencast-O-Matic. Screencast-O-Matic, that's the one, I believe. I think it was... Maybe they changed their name as well, but I, I think it okay. was... Yeah, <laughs> I'm sure I'm, even one of the two. Um, they had a similar offering. The UX UI wasn't quite as smooth. It wasn't... Uh, they didn't have a, a Google Chrome um, um, plugin, which is probably the main the main thing that attracted me to, to Loom. So, yeah, I think uh, pr prior to Loom, we were using either Screencast-O-Matic or Screen-O-Matic, uh, or perhaps even both. <laughs> <laughs> so that's Loom. That's your MarTech tool number three. What is your tool number two? Okay, so our tool number two is um, MailerLite. So we use MailerLite for, um, well, it's core use. It's a newsletter platform. So we use it to, to um, create and send out our very recently launched newsletter called DXP Report. And uh, MailerLite basically allows us to build landing pages, websites, and the email newsletter itself. It has automation features and a whole bunch of other um, cool features along with it. Um, but yes, we use that to um, support our, our, our new newsletter. Okay, and there are so many different email marketing options that are uh, open um, to to use nowadays. Um, I've had a package with Aweber for uh, forever. I've also used Mailchimp quite a bit in the past. Um, I've used Email Octopus more recently as well. I think that's um, a really nice solution as well because it's it's really cheap, but also it in integrates directly with Amazon servers, uh, so you can scale quite quickly with that. What makes MailerLite the choice for you? Um, very good question. We, we too used a few different platforms before. So we uh, were using Mail, uh, MailChimp at one stage, uh, which, I, which I enjoyed. Um, I think they, they changed their pricing. Um, they changed their pricing structure relatively recently within the last year, at least, uh, which made it a little bit less tempting to use. Um, but MailChimp, I've only got good things to say about MailChimp. They, they're always very, very reliable. Um, we also used what do we use? I, I very briefly used Ghost, or I considered using Ghost for our uh, our project DXP report. Now, Ghost isn't primarily a uh, email platform, but they do have that feature. So, Ghost is primarily a blogging platform. It was released. Um, it was founded by one, uh, an ex WordPress employee uh, whose name escapes me, but it was basically a WordPress um, SaaS, open source SaaS uh, WordPress competitor 
that also now has um, email platform and a, and, a, and, a, and a membership platform, so a subscription platform, so that you can monetize your email list. So that was very tempting as well. I did enjoy using Ghost, um, but um, their templates weren't the best and they weren't that customizable, excuse me. So we decided in the end to use MailerLite, which had uh, quite a bit of customization there that we could sort of tinker with. And um, yeah, the, it, was, it was relatively easy to use. And it also came recommended from one of my colleagues as well. So I knew that he had uh, experience using it. So yeah, we decided in the end to go with MailerLite and uh, we're, we're happy so far. Okay, um, so just researching Ghost. I've used, um, I've, I've researched Ghost in the past. I haven't actually used it, but um, um, John O'Nolan, I think, is the the person that founded Ghost. Yes, it's it's it's, a, it's supposed to be a more simplistic version of WordPress, isn't it? It is. It's. Um, I haven't. U- I've only used it for blogging a, f- a couple of times, just to test it out. Really, I haven't actually launched any any projects using it. I just used it to test it. Um, probably over a year ago, it's blogging function. I, I tested out the newsletter function maybe three or four months ago. I do like it. I've only got good things to say about it. Um, it's got a very nice interface. It seems to be um, you know, quite well-rounded in terms of features. Whether it's more simple nowadays and WordPress is arguable, I'm not sure anymore. It does have quite a few features on there. So um, that's a subjective one that maybe everybody has to sort of test it out and see. But they have a 14-day free trial, so I think that's uh, worth checking out. Great stuff. And, and just staying on MailerLite for a second, um, what are your thoughts on best practice email marketing strategy for B2B nowadays? Um, is it important to embrace, for, for example, HTML and have fairly fancy looking email newsletters? Um, is the fairly plain text um, looking like coming from an individual approach the, the most effective when it comes to open rates and interaction rates? Good question. It's something that we're still tinkering with, but for now we're using a kind of a hybrid of both. So we've, we've gone for a very simplistic um, magazine type look. So a few thumbnails to go with the, the headlines, some very brief brief text to introduce each article. And then as you scroll down, we've actually got some, some bullet points. So I don't know if you're familiar with um, newsletters such as The Hustle. Uh, they have, um, it's quite text heavy. And at some stage they have just bullet points where it's like, you know, things we've seen this week things that caught our eye this week and it will just be some bullet points where they just say you know hey apple was apple was done such and such and then there's the link to to go and read the full article and i have these very sort of brief bullet points i feel that works very well uh it has worked well for us so far although we're very 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 new uh very new newsletter so i think a, a hybrid of both but even even when there is like a, a fancier section of the email we'll try to keep that very very simple and have you experimented with incorporating other forms of communication like text or chat into the mix as well? We haven't. We're, we're thinking about surveys and, and yeah, we're thinking about surveys more than anything else right now. Um, that's the, the, yeah, we haven't really thought about doing anything other than surveys right now. Okay, great. Okay, well, we've got Loom as your MarTech tool number three. We've got MailerLite as your tool number two. What is your MarTech tool number one? Okay, my MarTech tool number one, it, it was a toss-up between um, Trello and, and, um, and Meet Edgar. So I'm going okay, okay. to go for Meet Edgar here because I think it's, it's still relatively unique, whereas Trello perhaps isn't that unique. So I'm going for Meet Edgar, uh, and that's meetedgar.com, unless they've, they've also purchased new demo. No, it is. <laughs> it still is that, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Um, so Meet Edgar is uh, a really fascinating one for me because what it allows us to do is create content once, uh, load it into uh, Meet Edgar, and then pretty much set it and forget it for the most part. So what I mean by that is 
with Buffer and Hootsuite, um, every piece or every sort of social post that you, that you load it into Buffer uh, will expire once it goes out and then you have to sort of reload it, right? So you have to keep going back in there, adding new content. Somebody has to keep doing that, replenishing the content. Meet Edgar has a slightly different approach um, where you can upload that content once and it will remain in the cycle and it will be cycled through over and over and over again. So the more content you add in, the larger your cycle will be. Um, but at the very least, you won't really run out of content. Um, the content you've uploaded will always be there with the exception of, of Twitter right now, which is um, not allowing the same tweet to go out twice, even if there's a long period of time between the two. So, so Meet Edgar is sort of restricting us from putting out the same tweets in like a month period or two month period, uh, which is slightly annoying. But um, if anything, it's pushing us to do um, to be better with our, our Twitter content. So um, maybe it's not so annoying after all. You stole my next question because um, I was going to ask you about that actually. Because I, I, I Meet Edgar certainly, I, I, maybe it's just as popular now. I, I thought it was more popular maybe five years ago or so than, than, than it is now. And, and partly because of that rule that tw- Twitter brought in the fact that you can't actually tweet the same thing lots and lots of times. But if you can use it for other social platforms, that's great. But what would you say in general is best practice for the amount of repetition that is acceptable for other platforms like Facebook or LinkedIn or whatever other platforms you you can use it for? Uh, Is it reasonable to publish the same Facebook post once a month or something like that? Have you got any thoughts on that? I I don't think it would be. And I just said that about Twitter as well, but I was giving an example. Ideally, Mm. we we wouldn't do that. Ideally, what I like about Meet Edgar is that when I first started using it, we spent a lot of time creating enough content so that um, those following us on social media wouldn't see the same post for at least another year. So we'd right. have right. Um, we'd have enough content in there. The cycle would be, would be um, large enough, or the, the the pool of content would be large enough so that the, the cycle would it would take a full year to, to reach uh, the the first piece of content. So that was our aim. And for a while that was working, uh, but again, with that Twitter rule that came through, um, it stopped working as efficiently. So it's still the best tool out there, I believe, because it does allow that still to happen on platforms like LinkedIn, which is important for us. Um, but it was, it's not quite as effective as it once was, but it's still, it's still the best in my opinion. Do you find any differences in terms of the amount of interaction you get on a post uh, when you compare when it's been posted through a service like Meet Edgar and when it's been natively posted within the platform? Good question. I think we, I've got different expectations for content that goes out through Meet Edgar. The kind of content we've got in the content pool there is mainly um, content for, for branding and brand awareness. So we have, for example, um, these sort of, text-based images. They're basically images of text, which is sort of in line with our brand, being a content marketing agency and focusing mainly on, on the content. Um, and that's really mainly to remain top of mind for our clients, to remain top of mind for people in the DXP industry. And so I'm not really looking for a huge amount of engagement there. A, a like or two here and there is, fi- is fine. But really what I'd like to, what I, what I enjoy doing with, with these tools is just, you know, doing the kind of post that I would I otherwise wouldn't do. So the kind of post that I should be doing or our team should be doing is those native posts where we go into the platform and tweet some sort of insight, uh, you know, a trend we're seeing or, um, you know, a tool that we've just reviewed or just used or something like that. And that should be organic and, and done by an actual person at, within the platform natively. And I think these um, automation tools should be for, you know, branding content, you know, staying top of mind and that kind of thing. Maybe tweeting out some old articles to... Um, to, to put out there for people to people to read 
And just staying on social media for a moment longer, do you have any thoughts on best practice or what is working really effectively now for in terms of the the type of content to share, i.e. native video, adding a lot of text to posts, hashtags, usernames in there? Is there anything that you've seen as a trend that is working really effectively to encourage post engagement just now? I think our our most successful um, social media content was from our podcast, um, which we sort of turned that podcast recording into a video in a sense uh, that we had um, the name of the name of it escapes me, but the, the soundbar, the soundbar moving around with our logo on it, uh, because we, we, we weren't recording the, the podcast like like you're recording right now a video. So we had we had that sort of um, video slash audio content going on. Was it SoundCloud or quite some, similar to SoundCloud? Similar to that, it wasn't. It was actually an app called Headliner. I think if you, if you Google okay. Headliner okay. app, it will come up, and it's basically turning audio content into video content for this specific purpose of turning it into social media posts. Um, okay. And it does a quite, okay. uh, it does a pretty good job. It tur- like it takes a minute of audio and it turns it into a video, and that was that was successful for us. We used obviously we used a few hashtags in there, and we you know we made sure the content was relevant, of course, to to our audience, so that helped. But that's probably the best kind of content we've seen, uh, working for us at least. How do you go about launching your own content when you publish it? Uh, You you mentioned that you were working on a blog post to uh, publish fairly soon. Um, How will you go about telling people about it? Will will you just publish it and people will naturally gravitate gravitate towards it? Or do you do any paid campaigns to try try and actually um, get some more eyeballs seeing it? Uh, we haven't yet done any paid campaigns. Um, a lot of my personal content goes out on CMS Wire, which has um, a fairly large audience. Um, our personal, our or personal content, our, our company content, Wordify content, does just go out um, onto social media uh, as is of no with no with no specific launch plan. Um, however, we will then um, email our clients, email those in the industry who we have you know a relationship with, and say, hey, we've just written this. What do you think? We'd love some feedback. Feel free to share. And um, that usually helps um, get get some views and get some engagement. So, how will you go about choosing whether to publish a piece of content on CMS Wire or on Wordify? Great question. Um, that is a great question, which I don't have a fantastically ready answer for, to be honest. Um, I'll, I'll tell you what; it's it's a slightly different audience. So, CMS Wire, although there is an overlap between the DXP space, their their audience is comprised of of many different. Um, people from many different industries. So we're talking about people who are looking to improve their customer experience. So perhaps CMOs and CTOs and CIOs and CEOs of um, medium and large companies are reading that. Um, and as well as that, you've also got a DXP vendors who are reading that for, for sort of DXP and CMS related news. So there's a bit of a mixture going on there. It's not totally our audience. Um, whereas with Wordify, uh, we're quite well established as um, a company that focuses on DXP space, especially now with the, the newsletter we're launching. So I suppose if it's extremely, if it's only relevant to the DXP space, I would probably um, write it ourselves and write for ourselves, our own company. Whereas if it's got a, a broad application, if it's relevant to other industries for, for digital transformation, for customer experience, for employee experience, then it's probably best suited for CMS Wire. Great stuff. Okay, I, I won't dive into that anymore there, but I like um, f- following, the, uh, following the marble sometimes and seeing where it goes. Um, Let's dive back into marketing technology for a second and just ask you, as your business grows, what's an example of a process that you currently do manually that you may wish to automate using marketing technology in the future? Thankfully, I've 
me personally, we've managed to we've managed to do a lot of that already. I.e., moving manual tasks to to again things like Meet Edgar, where we can sort of automate things. Um, a lot of our a lot of our sort of workflows depend on it depend on us being you know manually doing it really. So uh, as a content marketing agency, we have to put pen to paper, so to speak. So there's not a great deal of automation that we can do. Um, without sort of harming the, the quality of our work, which is obviously our priority. Um, one area that I'd love to, you know, automate is the keyword research side, if possible. Um, to drop another name in, we, we use Ahrefs, which almost made my list as well, uh, to do keyword research, which is a brilliant tool. But again, it's a manual tool. You've got to go and do the research yourself. And, you know, often you can spend, you know, 20 minutes really sort of digging around on even just one specific keyword and sort of finding out all the nooks and crannies around that. So that can be quite time consuming, although it's an interesting process, it can be quite time consuming. So I'd love some automation around that. Um, yeah, that's probably how I, what I'd love to see next. I don't see a tool out there that does that very well just yet, but that would be an interesting one. Okay, and a kind of a related question, but th this one's about more looking perhaps many years into the future. So um, what is something that you have in your mind that would be a wonderful piece of marketing technology that, that, that doesn't exist yet, but you would love to see created? I think something around um, stories. So we've seen recently LinkedIn stories launching and obviously Instagram stories is something that's well established now. I'm not sure because I, I'm, I'm, I'm a business owner who, would, who wants to do more stories, but I just don't find the, it just doesn't come to my mind enough to sort of, take my phone and do a selfie video and just throw it out there. Maybe that's a discipline problem, which probably is. But at the same time, I think there can be some tool to maybe aggregate that content, store that content for later. Um, that can be that can be posted later on. Again, something like Meet Edgar, perhaps, um, where perhaps, you know, it's 3 a.m. where I am and I don't want to post my LinkedIn story right now. So I just save it on my camera roll. I'll just, I forget about it and that's too late, you know. So there's, there's no, maybe something there where somebody can create an app to um, store or sort of buffer the content as it goes out, uh, but specifically for, for story content. I haven't even tested LinkedIn stories yet. I, I, I should do, but it doesn't come naturally to me. I haven't embraced Instagram stories or uh, any similar kind of Facebook stories. So have you tested LinkedIn stories or, or, or you haven't actually tested it personally yet? You have, yeah? We have. When, uh, when DXP report launched last week we put out a couple of posts and we got some decent engagement nothing crazy um mm. but mm. you know some people took notice some people viewed it some people messaged me because of the um the post i put out there on, on stories it's the kind of thing again that's great for brand awareness and it's the kind of thing that i know i should be doing more of especially on linkedin just to be at the top of that page there you know people click on it they see my face they see our logo perhaps and it allows you to stay top of mind and it allows you to, to maybe you know put out some thought leadership as well but again, like you, it doesn't quite come naturally to me. Um, I'm not averse to, to the camera or anything like that. But mm. like I mentioned, mm. it just doesn't come to my mind to sort of pick up my camera and, and speak to it. Um, but maybe that's a skill that I have to learn. Yes, perhaps it is. I, I always gravitate towards long live streams that are perhaps pre-planned a little bit more. And I'm, I'm very comfortable doing that. But um, picking up a phone and maybe recording just something for 30 seconds without um, any scripts and publishing that is it's not something that... <laughs> turns me on <laughs> and uh for me personally i don't know about you but <laughs> recording one 30 second video often takes me up up to five minutes <laughs> yeah 
and most of it's just stressing about it beforehand rather than actually thinking Probably about what to say. So, <laughs> um, so Kaya, uh, you've shared a lot of interesting thoughts there as, as, as part of our discussion today. Would you, would you say there's a one key takeaway that you'd like to leave the listener with from today's discussion? Um, key takeaway, I would probably, what I would probably say is that thinking about the, the MarTech that we, that we use and rely on, it did give me some insight into how much manual work we're doing and how much is sort of automated or, or supplemented by technology. And although I mentioned earlier that most of our work depends on it being manual, I think there are a few more tasks in there that probably we can find um, some automation tools for or some tools to help us stay on top of things, help us you know, do things more often that we don't do as often as we should. And I think in other industries, for other companies who are perhaps not so dependent on their work being manual, i.e. us writing blog postings to be a manual process, I think a lot of other companies could probably look at their MarTech stack and think, you know, have we sort of done everything we can to optimize our human human work hours? So that's probably something that I would say. Great thoughts. Um, try and be a little bit more efficient. I, I, I guess the challenge is um, you, you want to personalize things. You, you want to make sure that you're doing things as effectively as possible to begin with. To a certain degree, you have to do things manually to begin with to to get as effective at them as possible so you can automate things in the 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 most appropriate manner so you, you don't want to automate things too soon but you have to accept after a while you're being inefficient by not automating very true you have to master the task before you delegate it whether you're delegating it to a human or a robot of some sort it, you have to master that task otherwise you won't know if it's going wrong you won't know if it needs to be improvement um so yeah totally agreed yeah wonderful in fact you, you said that earlier on in a conversation when you talked about loom and you talked about mastering the task first of all before recording a video and how to do that and passing that on to one of your teams so um you're certainly living the message wonderful stuff okay well i, I just want to say to the listener and the viewer this is actually the last episode in series one of martech stacked hopefully we will be back um very soon um if you want to say hi i will try to publish a story on LinkedIn, David Bain on LinkedIn, but uh, I can't guarantee I will. Perhaps I will do. If not, maybe say hi at castingcred.com. We produce podcasts for um, B2B brands, so maybe you can say hi there as well. And of course, the Content Cow social channels on Twitter, on Facebook, on Instagram. Say hi there as well and, and let us know what you thought about this series so far, what you'd like to see in other episodes in the future as well, and perhaps whether or not you'd like to be a guest. But Kaya, thank you so much for being at the last episode of series one really appreciate you coming on thank you for having me and thank you dear listener for joining us if you haven't done so already sign up for your free trial of content cow plan collaborate on approve and publish your content in one simple and intuitive calendar interface plus check out all the other martech stack show episodes over at contentcal.io also wherever you're watching or listening to this show let us know your opinion what are the three most important marketing technologies in your business? Let us know and we'll try and give you a shout out on a future show or maybe even have you on as a future guest. Thanks again.